Our scripture this morning takes us, for a moment, back to Lent. Brought before Pontius Pilate on charges of heresy and sedition, Jesus has little to say for himself. Pilate, regardless as his interrogator, is determined to get to the truth of the matter. Frustrated by Jesus' evasive responses, Pilate asks him, perhaps rhetorically, quid veritas, what is truth? Jesus, much to Pilate's dismay, remains silent. Indeed, Jesus has a habit of answering questions with parables, riddles, and still more questions. Sometimes he doesn't answer at all. I'm sure this irritates people who want a more straightforward response, but Jesus knows that questions invite you to think, while answers tend to shut down the thinking process. That's why we welcome hard questions in church, why I pose them from this pulpit, and why we ask them of our young people who are going to be confirmed in their faith. What is truth, Pilate? Well, I suppose that depends on who you ask. A reading from John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am king for this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The place is a quaint suburb just outside of Portland, Oregon. The year is 1981. The tree-lined streets are home to latchkey kids riding their bicycles home from school, autumn leaves crunching beneath their wheels, old playing cards pinned to their spokes. On the weekends, those bicycles are out in full force exploring the small town and its environs, or headed to the Malibu Grand Prix video arcade on Friday night. Everyone's talking about a rad new game, standing amidst the familiar arcade cabinets, Nestled quietly in between Mrs. Pac-Man and Space Invaders, lost among the blaring sounds of digital lasers and the music on the radio, you might have missed it altogether if it weren't for the long line of kids waiting to test their skills, quarters at the ready. The game is called Polybius. You haven't had the chance to play it yet, but in spite of its sudden popularity, or maybe because of it, Strange rumors are beginning to circulate around the game. People are starting to talk. Your older cousin told you that some of his friends have been suffering from migraines after playing it 
along with hallucinations and nightmares that are so bad they wake up screaming. Mikey Lopez even got in the newspaper when he had an epileptic seizure after playing it. Or was that some other game? Anyway, it all started around the time that Polybius showed up, so it makes you wonder. That's not all. Some of the kids at school are saying they've seen men in black suits hanging around the arcade at odd hours, talking to the old guy that runs the place and poking around the machines. In another week or so, just before Polybius will mysteriously vanish as suddenly as it had arrived a month earlier, your pal Steve will claim to have seen these men hauling the game out and loading it into an unmarked white van with no license plates. That's the last that anyone will see or hear of it until someone posts a fuzzy photograph of the Polybius arcade cabinet on a website 19 years later. The photo is accompanied by further speculation that the game was developed by the CIA to experiment with digital mind control techniques. Internet sleuths will later allege that the game has even more nefarious origins claiming that the serial number on the cabinet includes the digits 666, the number of the devil. In time, no one will know for sure whether Polybius ever actually existed or if it's just another urban legend cooked up in a stew of suburban teenage boredom and internet anonymity. No one will know if the stories are true. But you've got a pocket full of quarters. You intend to find out. Truth is a funny thing. Things can be historically false and still true in a deeper sense. This is especially true of the Bible. We just don't know if its stories are true in a literal sense. As one young woman in our confirmation class recently wrote, I think we should remember the morals and themes of the Bible, but take its specific details and specific stories with a grain of salt. A lot has obviously changed since the Bible was written, she continues, and considering how much it's been translated and how meanings of texts can be lost in translation, we shouldn't take the Bible as concrete truth and instead look at the lessons within it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Truth, as we generally understand it, is elusive. That's especially true today in a world of alternative facts and monetized misinformation. But even in Jesus' time, there was little consensus on what to believe. What is truth? Pontius Pilate famously asks Jesus when the carpenter claims to only teach what is true. What is truth? Here, Jesus offers no answer. In matters of faith, simple answers are hard to come by, and everyone comes to their own conclusions. And that's why each year we ask our confirmation students to write a faith paper, a testimony, really, that asks them to consider what it is they really believe. And this year, reading these testimonies of faith, it occurs to me that their diverse beliefs are collectively a testament to what we all believe in the United Church of Christ, namely that we each have a responsibility to answer Pilate's question to Jesus authentically and faithfully and in our own way. 
While I personally believe that there is an objective truth about God, that is, I believe that God exists apart from our own ideas about God, well, you might say that information is classified, above our clearance. We can't access it directly, so we each attempt to do so in our own way, cultivating our own beliefs and our own path. We call that religion. I think God is calling modern churches to worship him as they want to, one student writes, because whoever believes in him might have similar but also very different beliefs. Everyone's faith is different, says another, because everyone has a different experience of God. I believe that religion is like a boat, another young man articulates in his paper. You must choose wisely which one you go with, because once you're on, the boat keeps sailing. They all have the same captain, but the boats are different. They all have the same destination, but on the faith journey, everyone takes a different boat. Polybius, the man, not the game, was a Greek historian who lived about 200 years before the birth of Christ. And his name, Polybios, literally means many lives. Fitting for an arcade game where you can die as many times as you want if you've got enough quarters to keep on playing. He also lived in a city called Arcadia, go figure. <laughs> now as a historian, Polybius was renowned for his commitment to rigorous scholarship, first-hand experience, and primary sources, rather than basing anything on hearsay or rumor. In other words, I don't think he would have put much stock in the wild stories about the arcade game that bears his name. But again, quid veritas. What is truth? How can we know what to believe? Many years ago, a theologian named John Wesley suggested an approach that's come to be known in theological circles as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. He claims that there are four ways we can discern the truth about God. And these are scriptures, tradition, reason, and experience. Now the scriptures, while not infallible or necessarily true in a historical sense, give us a framework. Tradition builds upon that, shaped by the experience of countless people before us. Reason, or the ability to think critically, allows us to gauge the truth of scripture and tradition. And experience, of course, puts our hypotheses to the test. The quadrilateral offers a solid framework for belief, but naturally results will vary from person to person. As the name Polybius implies, this world is filled with many lives, many stories, and many beliefs. And still, there is a lot of pressure in many religious traditions to stick to the orthodox party line. I caught myself wanting to write down what I think people want to hear when a student begins his testimony before sharing his own experience of church school and confirmation class and Bible camps and other places in which he's developed his faith. We try to encourage our students to draw their own conclusions about what they believe, and they shared many of these ideas in their writing. Some of these are fairly traditional, articulating Jesus' atonement on the cross, or the importance of prayer. Many of them speak about God's enduring presence 
in their lives. One student, an avid fisherman, writes about God's presence in his boat. The lure accidentally went into the lily pads, and I thought it was snagged. I was so frustrated. Then all of a sudden, there was a slight gust of wind, and everything went quiet and calm. Boom! Suddenly, a large creature destroyed the whopper plopper. As an aside, I've never been fishing myself. I can't get up quite that early. And I had to ask him what a whopper plopper was. I guess it's some type of lure. Uh, anyway, he goes on to tell a tale worthy of Captain Ahab. <laughs> but more importantly, he believes that God was with him that morning. It felt like God was there with me that day, he writes, in the calm and quiet of the breeze, which made me feel capable of anything. Other students tackled, pun intended. <clears throat> Less traditional subjects in their papers and subsequent conversations, like the theological implications of aliens and ghosts. If ghosts are real, one student mused, why aren't they in heaven? It seems really sad, this idea that ghosts are just trapped on the earth, trying to get to heaven. If God were fighting the devil, one of them asked me, hypothetically speaking, could God create another entity so powerful that it could not only destroy the devil, but God himself? I'm still thinking pretty hard about that one. It's a, it's a creative variation on the old paradox, uh, can God create a stone so heavy that he can't lift it? I'm afraid I don't have an answer to that one either, but I'm really glad that they're asking Tough questions. Salvation was another theme that came up, and I appreciated our students' creative interpretations of it. They seem to recognize that it's something we can experience in this life and not only in the next one. One young woman speaks poignantly about her early struggles with God and how she later found a kind of salvation. I used to think of God as more of a dead father than a holy spirit, she writes, and I felt like I had failed him. But in time, she came to accept herself as a child of God, a beloved child of God, and her relationship with her creator changed. It felt like I was talking to my father again, she says. It was surreal. I slowly began to feel my place as one of his own. I feel as if God has gifted me my passions, these little tokens of love buried for me to find. Another young woman talks about finding salvation in the act of forgiveness, both in giving and receiving it. She also believes that any of us can find it regardless of who we are or what we've done. When I was young, she writes, I believed that God didn't love the bad guys in the world. But I've come to find that God sees good in all people and believes that everyone deserves love. And of course, most of them also speak to their beliefs about what God wants us to do and how to live. I think God and Jesus are calling the modern church to help others, one student offers. Whether it's discrimination, violence, poverty, or just bad luck, I think God wants us to help out as best as we can. So, as we consider all of these different beliefs, are they true? Again, I suppose that depends on who you ask. Now, it's not that I want to promote a kind of anything-goes moral relativism where nothing is true and 
everything is permitted. But at the same time, if folks are basing their beliefs on a combination of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, they're going to come to different conclusions. That's inevitable, and maybe that's okay. As one of our students eloquently explains it, personal faith isn't necessarily about what's right, but rather what's right for you. Now, I don't know if Polybius, the game, not the man, ever really existed. Polybius, the man, not the game, was also a cryptographer and a creator of ciphers and puzzles, and this story about an arcade game in the early 1980s remains one of them. That said, if one looks at the pieces of the puzzle, certain truths do begin to emerge. It's true that Mikey Lopez of Beaverton, Oregon, suffered a migraine headache after playing a game at the Malibu Grand Prix Arcade, which set off a string of rumors at his school. It's also true that on the very same day, at the very same arcade, a boy named Brian Morrow got sick after playing Asteroids for 14 hours straight, <laughs> evidenced by a clipping from the Oregonian newspaper. Even stranger, it seems there's some truth to the men in black suits hanging around the place. In the 80s, the feds suspected video arcades of being involved in illegal gambling and drug peddling. They sometimes sent agents to plant small video cameras in the arcade cabinets for surveillance purposes. And according to the Bureau's records, the FBI were actively engaged in this activity in the Portland area at the time. When you put the pieces together, the reality bears a striking resemblance to the urban legend, even if Polybius the game, not the man, never actually existed. There's a little bit of truth in every story. What is truth, Pilate wants to know? Jesus has no answer, because I suspect that he knows that we all have to find our own way to it. As our students are confirmed today as members of this congregation, they are making a commitment to continuing that journey. It's one that lasts our whole lives. And as much as we might like simple, straightforward answers, there's a lot to be said for a little bit of mystery. Amen.